Hello and welcome to the Vassals of Kingsgrave and welcome to Creature Chat, a podcast series where we discuss all manner of creatures. And today we are going to be discussing the undead. And I'm your host, Peter, also known as Shellfish, and I'm joined by Sarah. Hey, it's Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Blood. And Abby. Hi, it's Abby. And Matt. Varley on the forums. Zach. Hey, this is Zach, also known as Alias in this life. And the next, that'd be weird. That'd be really weird. I hope that doesn't happen. One Zach limit. Okay, and Duncan. Mix it up. Brains. Oh, wait, no. Uh, this is Duncan, also known as Velcrist on the forums. And uh, we may be joined by Cat, uh, Kit Cat History 24601, was it? And uh, Joke later on, but they have not been able to join the call as of yet, so they may join later on. And. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll do the. I guess I'll do the. Uh, disclaimer afterwards based on what we talk about but I think we're gonna talk about some 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 corpses and things so might be a little I guess a disclaimer might be warranted it's a great name for a Halloween shop corpses and things <laughs> just bones and things and some <laughs> necrotic flesh and stuff <laughs> yeah what could the things be <laughs> <laughs> you know necrotic flesh and stuff yeah, that's so... a, that's the competitor I cross the street. Okay, <laughs> the big thing going. <laughs> that's the that's the overpriced the markup, the markup story. Necrotic flesh. They sell pumpkin flavored uh, necrotic flesh. Yeah. They're a little bit more Stuff. pretentious. <laughs> but you're bougie undead. But their packages are more aesthetically pleasing. You, you totally know there would be bougie undead, right? Oh yeah, yeah. There would be pumpkin spice everything. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, let's uh, go into a start with the definition. Let's ask like, what are undead? So they're dead, but they're not. So do they need to have a body, a, co- a corporeal kind of effect, or can they be a ghost or a specter or a wraith? But yeah, let's get this definition down. Yeah, that's a really uh, good question because, yeah, like, I I don't think of ghosts as undead. Like I think of them as a separate. Even though you have to be dead first to be a ghost, like. Uh, yeah, I think you... to be to be dead, there has to be something physical or corporeal that's died and is rotting. So if a ghost possesses a corporeal form, are they now undead, or is that a whole different category? Ooh, uh, like, uh, so sort of really like if they animated. possess somebody else. Yeah. So, what is that? Is that just like a? That's just temporary yeah. lodging. It's, 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 I think that's. I think that's possession, like mm-hmm. demonic but, possession of a living thing. But I think undead. It has to the the form you've possessed has to died or deceased and be reanimated by another. What about person. what about like a revenant? Isn't that like a ghost in their own body of some kind that they like sort of make their own? I'm not sure. No, a revenant's like a vampire, isn't it? No, I think yeah. Zach is right that they're kind of like uh, someone who has some sort of unfinished business that there might even be some sort of a sort of a righteous uh, connotation to it, that a revenant is sort of so driven by the sheer force of will that they come back from the dead 
to sort of avenge themselves or something that has been done wrong to them. I, I, so I guess for Undead, we're saying there has to be a physical continuity as opposed to just a spiritual one? Well, I that, wouldn't that... say that. I mean, I suppose sort of my understanding of these sorts of categories of creature comes a lot from video games like World of Warcraft, where when you like hover your mouse over a creature, it will say humanoid or beast or undead or demon or something like that. And uh, in those sorts of games with those sorts of systems like Dungeons and Dragons as well, I think ghosts also count as undead. So I kind of feel like they're kind of in that same category, but I guess we sort of reanimated undead and ghosts are kind of a different thing because I believe most cultures have some sort of uh, conception of ghosts probably and the kind of undead creatures might not. Sir, are there any undead in Gilgamesh or any of those old things? <laughs> any of those, any of those old things. Um, so that's, a, that's actually a really good question because I couldn't think of um, any kind of like like sloppy undead, I guess, is maybe the category that I was kind of looking for. Um, because in, <laughs> it just sounds gross. I uh, do mean like impaired cognitive gross. function. Yeah, just kind of like kind of you know with like pieces falling out or like like fluids that have you know sort of gone. <laughs> they're not supposed. To be. I, but I mean, what I you know the the ones that I could think of in Greekness were arguably reanimation but things like Orpheus and Eurydice or um, Alcestis where Hercules actually goes down like wrestles death to bring her back um, and it, uh, Dionysus does the same thing with his mom and the later kind of cult um, the cult myths but like they they just come back there's no sense that there's you know it's not like a pet cemetery kind of situation where she's like she's mom but she's kind of like ma'am you know right like there's <laughs> yeah, I get, I get what you mean. There's no correlation there. Like that's a kind of common theme in modern fantasy. I feel like that undeath is always something that corrupts you and leaves you sort of like you know, that pet cemetery quote of sometimes dead is better and you're only like a hollow shell of yourself and like you'll disgust all the people who used to love you and that sort of thing. But yeah. I guess in these older tales, there's more sort of this like full resurrection to full life, I guess. There, yeah. there is a reference in Gilgamesh, um, like the undead don't appear in the story, but Ishtar threatens to raise the dead and have them eat the living, which is oh, a pretty oh. good description oh, of wow. you know, modern yeah. day. Sarah just got dunked on. I did, no, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I love that. Well, no, I, this this research is from Wikipedia, so, you know, <laughs> citation missing, but That's I'll see if I can find a quote. Player 2 has entered the game. <laughs> um, the other the other thing that was sort of a weird category that I thought of in this was in um, Dante's Inferno, where he's sort of touring the underworld and he sees a lot of people, or he sees some people that he knows are still alive or like he believes are still alive and he, he's basically like how the hell are you down <laughs> pun intended um how the hell are you down here and the explanation is that um if you're evil enough that your soul will die first and go to hell and so you start suffering the torments of hell like before your body is dead and a demon just animates you um so like that, Isn't I mean, that like a dig at like his critics and like oh yeah yeah like i mean 
he calls him out by name and he's like, Hey, this guy, like, Hey, Machiavelli, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know, like, I don't know where that would fit. And I mean, it kind of sounds like a zombie, but it's, you know, it could be a vampire. I don't know. It was just, it's, it was another weird kind of like floating undead category, but again, they're not, they're not perceptibly like rotten or anything like that. So I don't know. I found the quote from Gilgamesh. Um, if you want to hear it, this is the Andrew George translation. And it's page 96, um, and it says, This is Ishtar threatening Anu uh, that he needs to give her the bull of heaven. Um, or if he doesn't give her the bull from heaven, all hell will break loose. And she says, If you do not give me the bull of heaven, I shall smash the gates of the netherworld right down to its dwelling. I shall bring up the dead to consume the living. I shall make the dead outnumber the living. Um, and I think there's later a part where she says, uh, I shall bring up the dead to consume the living. Yeah, I shall make the dead outnumber the living. And Gilgamesh, I'm not sure how old it's it's meant to be written, 2000 to maybe 1200 years ago, or 1200 BC. Um, so it's probably one of the earliest, if not the earliest, known reference to, to the undead. Or what what is a pretty good description of a zombie, the way we understand it in the 21st century? Cool. Uh, well, there's like that... Romero's zombies, or there's like Haitian voodoo zombies, and yeah, 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 like something that yeah comes back, so, rises oh. from the grave. I think that's probably. I don't know. I went to this exhibit on vampires a few years ago in uh, Tampere, and they had sorts of sort of all kinds of different things from uh, like the Ottoman Empire, like actual armor and stuff, and sort of just a exhibit on vampires, and they had all these old stories of like these blood-drinking creatures and sorts of different sorts of undead creatures from around the world, like before the modern vampire came to be. So I feel like that sort of uh, idea of the corpse or the moving corpse is something that mm. probably can be found in a lot of different cultures and because I feel like that's one of those sort of primal fears because corpses are very scary to people and uh, like the idea of one moving is kind of like that uncanny valley valley yeah. Yeah, definitely yeah supposedly the the, re the idea of the revenant appears in like western European culture like Irish Celtic culture North mythology whereas the vampire figure is more popular in eastern Europe um, but but isn't that like a folklore where, like, uh, with the rise of Christianity, you know, um, the unspoiled body is, like, really important because you will be, you know, uh, what is it, revived during the last... Resurrected. You know, yeah, resurrected. Well, that, um, that's a good point. I guess Christ is the original zombie. Actually, Lazarus is, but, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of the most important zombies in uh, yeah. Western yeah. canon. Yeah, so I did a, a course on religion in my um, an anthropology course that I took once, and I know we covered voodoo, but I'm looking through my notes on it, and we literally never talked about zombies. We just talked about loa. Oh, you didn't like, get your money's worth. I know, which are like ripped it's off. Kind of, it's kind of like possession more, but um, I'm really mad because I thought that I had stuff on yeah, zombies. Yeah, uh, sort of a. Voodoo zombie is more like a mind slave rather than like a returned corpse, but it's yeah. yeah. So well, so there's in yeah. Loa, like with the Loa, they're kind of like spirits that possess 
so I in my and this is a weird thing to say, but so it's like they mount the person and the person is also mounted like by Valoa. So like it's like a brief takeover, but it's not always bad, I guess. Is like and there's different types of Loas. There's like the Gede Loa, which is like the god of life and death. So I guess that would probably be the the closest Oh, which in Loa this, is that? It's called the Gede Loa. G H E D E. Isn't uh, um, Bar- uh, Baron Samedi one of those death gods in the sort of voodoo? I program? have n- no idea, but like it's like that a guy would with be, a top hat, like this Canada, Maybe. like in the Princess and the Frog, the bad guy is heavily based on Baron Samedi, I think. That guy's so scary. Yeah, I don't know. But, like, these are, I just remember we watched a, a documentary on, like, the, the Loa ritual, and it's more of, like, a possession. Like, it's, like, a dancing thing, kind of. Mm. Um, it, it's, like, a, a brief thing that's, like, more about creating, like, a socialization, like, community thing. So it's, like, they... Um... It's a jam band. <laughs> oh, it's a what? A jam band? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's I, good that big sort of draw sort of an, an uh, allegory or comparison to something like uh, some Christian sex they'll do like they speak in tongues. Yeah, uh, yeah something like, yeah, I would say that it's like um like a Pentecostal, like, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like equivalent to that, but that idea that there's like a person who is speaking in tongues or like under. spirit comes into you and enters yeah, you and sort of takes you over yeah. and... Yeah, but again, it's like it's not always like an evil thing. It's like a a uh, they can be just like a a socialization thing to like connect with like the spiritual world, and then also just it brings like the the human world or the human relations together as well. I I thought it was always I don't I haven't re- haven't done a course on it or anything, but I, my understanding was that it was always meant to be sinister, like the idea of the zombie. In, in Haitian mythology, it was always seen as this unnatural or, you know, uh, yeah, so I malevolent don't know event. Yeah, so I, I mean, what I know about the zombie, it's from Wikipedia in comparison to, like, the, the Loa. But, yeah, it does seem to be, like, in, uh, in contrast with this other type of voodoo, I guess. Like, there's, like, a... There's two types, I guess. Not, like, types of voodoo, but, like, two... Like, a split maybe I guess would be the best way like, like white magic and black magic or something like that <laughs> mm. um I think the idea of the zombie and voodoo like is basically something that's a body only and that's very transferable to just being a black slave and yeah so so apparently there is also like a spiritual zombie which I guess would be more like the possession type thing but there is like in the in the loa there is a uh, it's the the petroloa which are the patrons of, like, aggressive action, and those are born out of, like, a rage due to the fate of, like, enslaved Africans that were brought over, is, like, in that section, like, section. It sounds like, it sounds like the, or, or sort of, an, again, in my very limited understanding, like, the, the actual zombie feels exploitive, like, zombification is, in my understanding, again, like, um, you zombify someone like so that they will 
serve you basically right like that yeah. it's like a it's like a subjugation and a kind of whereas the loa it sounds more almost like somewhere between possession and and like divine inspiration kind of where like you're you're under the influence but it's yeah. not quite as oh yeah that's a good description from what I, yeah what i understood so far it, it's interesting that the the myth the myth of the zombie emerged from this really brutal slave colony um mm -hmm. haiti um and supposedly it was even used as like a deterrent for slaves to kill themselves because they were told by their by slave owners that if you kill yourself you you may be brought back as a as a zombie like you can never escape subjugation how fun Mm. That's such a that's such an interesting. Um, I mean, interesting is is not quite the right word, but um, it's a it's a really brutal kind of reminder of how explicitly slavery is tied to like the physical experience, right? Like the physical body. So it's not you know that you would come back as an unhappy ghost, or it's like your body would literally continue to be, you know, enslaved essentially. You know, like the the, the sort of under the control of, of someone else. I don't know, it's, yeah, it's just an interesting... It's cool, I think, and the idea that the probably the most common word that we use for for the sort of uh, undead creatures is zombie, even, even like, well, sometimes they'll try to, like, get away from it, like in The Walking Dead, they call them walkers and, like, but that, that comes from the, like, a, like an African dialect originally, I suppose, if it's from Haiti and this voodoo voodoo origin to the word it's interesting and there's definitely so could you re oh no could you repeat the word that you said the, that day we got zombie oh yeah 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 sorry okay yeah did i say something else? zombie no no sorry i just i i was like thinking of etymology but never mind oh okay and uh yeah as we talked about earlier the there's definitely these themes of enslavement in the uh, raising of zombies or undead in in um, a lot of fantasy stories at least nowadays like the it's sort of like uh, necromancers are often depicted as these sorts of like uh, little petty men who want to have power over people and and uh, will go so far as to desecrate them and like uh, raise them from the dead to do their bidding yeah, and it seems to apply to both versions of the zombie, either a, a corpse reanimated by a specific person to be their slave or be their servant, um, and also just the idea of the mindless zombie reanimated and being doing things almost on autopilot like a machine. Right, it's like uh, Don Darien compared to like another's in the Song of Ice and Fire or something. Like a zombie yeah, is a is a body without a consciousness or without a self determination. It's a body that just moves on its own. Yeah. Oh, and uh, we've been joined by Cat. Hey, Cat. Hey. Yes. Um, so Duncan, you mentioned um, like Don Darian and also just this notion of a just like a body. Um, without its own purpose, just a moving body, essentially. So what about, like, the whites in the Saga of Ice and Fire? Like, something that appears to be controlled by something else, like something that is, like, some kind of hive mind even potentially motivated by some other some other creature. Like, where does that classify, do you guys think? 
I mean, I still think that those fall under like a definition of a zombie because it's it like in my opinion, like a zombie is like again, it's just like a slave to something. It could be like a slave to the own mind or like a slave to a higher controller, I guess. Yeah, I think those are zombies or reanimated corpses in my mind as well, but I guess they're how that of course the zombie sort of definition differs from world to world and story to story, but I suppose the whites in the song of ice and fire they still have some sort of um they can at least utilize the memories of their former selves i think because like in a game of thrones when they bring the two whites uh, uh south of the wall and one of them tries to kill the lord commander because he knew where he lived so they're not entirely mindless sort of robots i guess yeah that's a good that's a good example so like was he you know, quote unquote, sent after Mormont? Like, was that, or did he just have some kind of residual grudge that, you know, drove him there? Or did he, you know, was it like a targeted, like, just kill the leader? Or, I mean, because we, we don't, I mean, obviously we don't have a white POV. So, like, <laughs> it's, really it's just, it's, it's like one step up from Hodor or down from Hodor, I guess. But, um, <laughs> I don't know if they planned that. If the if the corpses were planted near the heart, would for for the men of the night watch to take them? If that was like a planned mission, or if it was such, sort of a co- coincidence, I guess. I didn't I didn't see how people like re- corpses could have memories or retain memories after they die. Like, surely once you once your brain ceases to have electrical, you know, currents going through it. Like where you know, surely just starts to rot. Like, what, how? Where does where does the memory, like, exist? Where does consciousness exist well, outside of the body? Oh boy. Well, I mean, I'm. I mean, that's a big question, Duncan. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts? <laughs> uh, well, no, not really. I I would say it's impossible. Like once, well, I guess it's like there's over time there's been different definitions of dead. Like originally it was when the heart stops beating or when the lungs stop breathing but you know modern medicine or modern uh, science allows us to restart a heart or restart lungs through cpr so then it became once the brain brain death once the brain stop having stop stops having electrical currents going through it then it's considered dead but but you know once once that happens like how do you restart a brain i don't know so the article that I posted earlier from um, talking about the causes of death, there's there's the higher functions of the brain that can be completely not firing, but the like lizard portion that keeps your heart pumping and your lungs breathing can still be alive, and that's where you get the brain dead like kind of definition. But you're right, like you know, uh, usually well, it's they- when all all functions cease, the person is declared dead. But there have been instances where they've recovered. So if they can remember their prior life, then, you know, what does that do to where the conscious or memories sit in your mind? I mean, I think that if you want to, and I mean, obviously, this isn't how like ancient peoples would have thought about it, although I do think that there's more of a kind of instinctive internalization of things like this than we realize. But I'm very interested in ghosts and, and things as part of like the law of the conservation of energy, right? Where like 
that shit sticks around. Like it doesn't just dissipate into nothing. So if you think about like the electrical impulses in a brain or the, that kind of, yeah, like lizard functioning where there's a, to me at least there seems like a possibility that that kind of like energy would still be around in like a physical body longer than we anticipate it, but, or longer than we assume. Or we could just be like, we could just say that entropy occurs and we just lose all that energy through heat loss and until we're cold and dead in the ground. Uh, yeah well, apparently there was a fun fact in the 18th century or wait maybe it was in the 19th century there was this like widespread fear in the uk or like a well-founded fear that people were being buried alive like they were being um, yes. judged dead because they weren't breathing or you know they were cold and stiff and they'd be buried George and Washington then they'd wake up this issue yeah and apparently between 800 and 2,000 people were being buried alive in the UK during that yeah. century. I know, like, Edgar Allan Poe's, like, one of his biggest fears was being buried alive. And uh, as you say, like, there's a bunch of, like, uh, patent drawings for different kinds of coffins that would have, like, bells or whistles mm -hmm. or, like, feeding tubes or something so, like, the person could stay alive while, uh, you know, they dug them up and brought them to safety. I know um, in, in Haitian voodoo, what they do is uh, derive a powder from the blowfish or from the pufferfish, mm. which basically slows all functions down to almost undetectable levels. So the person would appear dead, and that's how they kind of go through the zombification process. Either that or, like, I saw that serpent in the rainbow and just took it as truth. Supposedly, I don't know if this is true, but apparently there was a book written by a Westerner about Haiti, and it was included in the Haitian you know, constitution that it's illegal to make a zombie, basically. It's illegal to drug a person until they're, you know, you're just sort of this insensible being that you can move around and do make, do whatever you want. And I think it, it probably has its roots in the slave rebellion, right? What did you say, Matt? I said that has to have its roots in the Haiti becoming a country through a slave rebellion that, you know, they outlawed slavery and specifically this religious right i think it's interesting that like zombies are such uh, you know they are originate from west africa and haiti but they're such in the 20th and the 21st century they're such an american monster they emerged in america in hollywood american cinema and america being this former slave nation like maybe that's a big part of why the zombie is such a big you know, haunts them so much. Like they're still working through that residual guilt and the horror of slavery. Yeah. I would suggest it, it more pronounces our more modern issues, especially like Romero's first night of the living dead was what radiation, because you know, that woke the dead out of their graves, um, you know, during the height of the you know beginning of the cold war that, you know, the, it's preys on this anxiety of like, nuclear you know war or, you know what we're doing with testing atomic bombs around the world and then you know like return of the living dead or the living dead movies in the 80s was about like american mall consumerism and just being you know kind of tied to that and being a slave to you know materialism and consumerism um yeah. this is what i love about the zombie they're like 
every generation, every society gets their own zombie. <laughs> it can mean anything. To, it can mean all things to all people. Like we see what we want to in the zombie. Right. It reflects something that we're terrified of about ourselves. Yeah, I guess I mean, we're I think in the uh, why we tell the story portion of the this episode. And I feel like we might be even able to do this whole episode on zombies. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Like, might might include ghosts in there or split that up for another episode. But we'll see. So why do we tell these stories about zombies? Well, I, I mean, I think as Duncan was saying, like if we if we think of the zombie as maybe not an exclusively American, but like the the modern zombie is you know sort of centrally American and. Um, it, I mean, it, it might have a lot to do with our sort of rabid individualism, um, where like the, the worst thing socially that you can imagine is to be this part of like a mindless horde. Um, and, and by contrast, that, like, well, that's what I'm saying. No, but like, by, by contrast, like, you know, the, the stalwart, you know, survivor is the one who like, I don't know. It just it it feels like it taps into a lot of that kind of like survivalist individualism. Yeah, like that you know is is toxic in its own ways. I would argue, but um, I got what I need to go where I want. (laughs) Yeah, I think too. The other side of the consumerism thing is, of course, just the idea of like being trapped in the in the day to day doldrums of just working and the rat race all these terms and it's sort of interesting because like it kind of suits the sort of marxist idea of being alienated from the self and some of our anxiety might be about the idea of like actually inhabiting that concept and actually making that real and just the way that we live our lives yeah i feel like the sort of easy joke that has been made in many boomer comics is the like the young turning into zombies who look at their phone all the time like on the train or whatever on the bus and like that's a it's like oh everyone is a zombie who's staring at their phone or a screen but no but the zombies in, in like room. the the more yeah. comics <laughs> the zombies in like the 50s and 60s were also like or 60s and 70s i should say were also like the tv zombies so yeah again it's like a thing of technology that's sat there to mesmerize you and kill brain mm. cells and there's a, there's a term called smombie, which is a smartphone zombie, and it's just, yeah, that idea of the the person looking at their phone, shuffling along the street, holding up traffic, not looking where they're going. Um, and I think in, I don't know exactly where it is, but some country, might be, might be the Netherlands, they've even made, like, specific lanes for people looking at their smartphone as they're walking along the street. So go in this lane if you want to be a zombie lane. Yeah, I saw I saw right. something like that. Like it's a new Google Glass, so like you can look down at your phone but still see in front of you, so you don't crash into anything because that's where we are. I think yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons the zombies work so well. Um, I think like there's there's like the context thing. Like each generation gets their own zombie. Like as you say, Matt. The first night of the living dead was is just saturated with this anxiety about the vietnam war and also race relations in america like it has a african-american star and he's just being surrounded by all these people who want to kill him and the movie ends with him being lynched basically um and also this this anxiety about vietnam war like all of these victims of american interventionalism and american imperialism who die out of sight, out of mind, are finally coming back to, to re- wreak their revenge. Um, 
and um, yeah, seventies commercialism, eighties uh, um, Day of the Dead. It's all about this creeping authoritarianism, creeping. Well, it also takes place in a in a mall, right? <laughs> well, it, that's Dawn of the Dead, and then Day of the Dead is okay. yeah, is like set in a bunker, I think. Um, but I think it's also very universal. Like the zombie is frightening to us the same way a corpse is frightening to us. Like it, it shatters that distinction between us and just objects. Like we think of ourselves yeah. as beings, as people with souls and consciousness and as being this one body. But when we see the corpse, we see that we're just meat. Basically we're just, yeah. Yeah, rotting for so. different parts that could be taken apart and the zombie kind of like collapses that distinction we see ourselves I, as shuffling piles of meat yeah, yeah i think, I think that's kind of universal yeah. almost and that uh, kind of feel like some other things that may have inspired that idea of a zombie the way they're always like moaning and screaming and stuff like that that that's just like losing your mind with dementia might also be like one of those very scary things to people and that they will never want to happen to them or the people close to them. That's just well, like becoming this like uh, I... barely human. And Peter, I, speaks... I, think... you... oh, sorry. I was going to say it kind of speaks to like this fallacy of free will where, you know, we'd like to think we're determining what we do, but really we, something's always motivating us, whether it's like human brains or like to get a pumpkin spice pop tart from the bougie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a great point. Like that's a great point. It, it reveals the way we think of ourselves as being free, but we're also, there's a million different strings pulling us this way and that way, consciously, subconsciously, commercially, we're being guided by some hive mind. So we're we're basically and just angry that, meatballs. Is that yeah. is that what I've learned today? Yeah. Awesome. I was also thinking though, there's there's like an even more modern depiction of zombie that we've been getting. I mean, it's like I guess more fringe, but I just think about um like the book, um I this is like so teeny bopper, but like the book like Warm Bodies. And then I read a couple years ago this other book, I think it's called The Girl with All the Gifts. And it's about zombies that have like their own consciousness. And so it's like mm -hmm. this new, new type of zombies that we're getting where it's like they don't remember anything about their past as like a human, but they're functional and like able to create their own consciousness and like their own individual wants and desires. Once so do you think they once they're able to do that, are they still like technically like I'm air quoting zombies? Well, that's like, are they just characters now? Yeah, that's what I because I was like thinking, I was like, I was like thinking about in this. The, I only I first seen the movie Warm Bodies, but like I was like the main character is basically a normal dude who just happens to be undead, and then like, like, do they have amnesia just, or do they have? Superpowers? Yeah, it's like, it's like so in the Girl with All the Gifts. I think it's a series actually. I only read the first one, but so she's like a little girl. Um, and she, and the spoiler, but she doesn't know she's a zombie, but like, basically she finds out she's a zombie and she's like in a program where like they've gotten zombies that were like mutation, like not mutations, but like they're weird zombies that like still, they're all children and they have like high functioning, like whatever, but there's like a possibility that they'll go like rabid, you know, if they like smell blood or whatever. And it's like this weird concept where it's like, 
they, I don't humans know, are friends, not food. Yeah, it's like that kind of basically. So it's like this new type of zombie that we're getting, and I'm sure it's like very fringe. But I was just thinking, I'm like, well, I got so two examples sort of, of like it. A where... Kind of admiration to them, what I've what we've talked about with vampires and werewolves that that might be coming yeah. zombies in some ways as well. Well, it's interesting because yeah, like the the we did talk about this with vampires, where like it's you know sort of all of the good things about being dead like you know not having to worry about getting older not having to worry about you know decaying or whatever but like then also the the kind of trade-off would usually be that loss of consciousness or that loss of self-determination and the the sort of sophisticated undead creatures like vampires allow us to kind of explore um the freedom from the limitations of mortality without the the consequences i guess but um i don't know so it feels like feels like zombies are kind of like encroaching on that territory. So it was like, why wouldn't he just be a vampire? But um, I'm thinking too about uh, Santa Clarita diet. Like that was another sort of pretty recent example of just like a zombie who is just like, well, I guess I'm just a zombie now. So like, she's, you know, a realtor. And then like, she, she just does like realtor stuff, but also like eats people. Cause I, th I think it's actually a, a really interesting evolution of the idea um you know this has been a thing to an extent in in zombie fiction for a long time the idea that at least at the beginning of the time when you're infected there's a moment of resistance before you eventually become the soulless mindless brain-eating thing like this is a thing in resident evil it's a thing very briefly in 28 days later they experience where they they have a moment of free will before they sort of surrender to the impulses but the idea that it persists, I think, is in a way, yeah, it kind of introduces some new anxieties, the idea of kind of like being trapped within your own body, because the idea of you actually having some kind of will in that and trying to resist your impulses, that's its own sort of category of anxiety. Fine, I, I kind of connect it to like addiction, trying to like beat the, the zombie, like the addiction to eat the brains or to, to surrender to your own impulses. Um, and also mm -hmm. just the idea that that uh, yeah, you're you're just trapped, very much trapped in in your own existence, and you can't escape, and you have to deal with it. You don't get the the release of being a mindless creature. Yeah, that's uh, well, it's I think it's like, like part... Mass Effect, and there's the idea of uh, the Reaper indoctrination that they can mm. use to brainwash uh, people, and uh, Matriarch Benezia, one of the characters who's been brainwashed this way, says that uh, that she's like banging against the glass in her own mind and looking at what her hands are doing like doing all sorts of horrible things and like that's a that was a cool description and the, the, the idea that they have almost like locked in syndrome where they can kind of like see everything and be aware of it but that they can't really that they're locked inside their mind somewhere that's awful well <laughs> it's cool i, I, I think I that's think part of it is is a reaction again not like a reaction against but like a lot of zombie fiction, there's like a focus on finding the cure. And the question is like, well, what would happen if you found a cure? You know, would it like, and you use it on, you know, someone who's been a zombie for over a year, you know, it's like, do they just magically become human again? Or like, do they, like what, what, what is the, this cure that they would experience, I guess. <laughs> and so like, what? I mean, this is, yeah, like, what would they get back, right? Like, would they get back humanity or get back? I, I, I mean, I think this is something kind of that we touched on a little bit in um, the vampire chat, too, with, like, this sort of earlier folkloric vampires. But, like, it, I, I do think that there's a kind of anxiety, too, about, like, what the world would be like if people 
didn't die. And we, we are accustomed to thinking of death as this like, you know, horrible kind of loss and, and an absence and a, but like, I mean, I think the 4,400 was sort of similar to this, right? Where you're like, suddenly you just have like generations and generations and generations and generations more people like wandering around on earth. Like how quickly would that just be completely overwhelming? Like that, like the quote from Gilgamesh that, that Duncan brought, like the dead would very quickly outnumber the living. Um, and the, yeah, that idea that like there, there is a kind of finite amount of space and a finite amount of resource and like, like you just, you need death to, to kind of keep moving forward and um, to take that away is, is another kind of element, maybe almost like environmental anxiety that like um, it, the burden of, of, you know, no death is, it's becoming like a... some sorts of fears of overpopulation in some zombie stories that that's those sort mm -hmm. of like just huge masses of bodies like writhing mm -hmm. around and coming yeah that you. there's like an endless sea of them or an, and you know endless waves of them that that you can't eradicate or get yeah so like that the the sort of just sense of like overwhelming numbers or um swarming oh. There's a thing uh, like um, in the healthcare that's going to be a problem probably in like five to ten years is that people just aren't living longer, and because of that, they're going to see more, you know, demented people, more people with uh, Alzheimer's and neurologic uh, conditions, and we don't have the healthcare uh, facilities to take care of this growing population, and it's you know, you know, someone said. Um, you know, it brings to mind like a lurching person with Alzheimer's or something. And that could be something uh, that is real coming up uh, that we might actually see as, you know, we can't house all these people in assisted living. We don't have really any cures to these diseases. And um, there's a TED talk about it with a guy that I work with. He put it on. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty informative. Yeah, that sounds pretty grim. Yeah. I I mentioned the idea that the idea of a demented person might have given rise to that sort of idea of a moaning zombie, and I don't really, I don't mean to offend anyone with that because I just that that person is a monster or anything like that. But it's uh, it's definitely a very disturbing, disturbing thing to see another person uh, reduced to that state. Definitely. So, um, uh, Matt invited this question in the chat. And I think it's it's connected to what Abby was talking about with the idea of a cure. So in the instances where a quote-unquote zombie is just like a creature or just a human that's infected by some kind of virus or that's something else that turns them into this just other thing, and they're not really dead, they're just like their mind has been screwed up by whatever this thing is, are they are they a zombie? Is that is that still the same thing? Um, well, have they well, have they died? If I think about like well, the last I don't typically ones, think example, of these as dying, like but a... a lot of them are zombies. So like the Walking Dead or like any of these things, like it's just an infection, right? Like it and theoretically could be cured, but but we think of them as the same thing. We think of them as the living dead. Like what is the distinction there? Well, that's the whole play, right? What Kirkman was doing with the Walking Dead. Which one is it? The the dead or you know the walkers or the 
people that were fighting them, you know, or struggling to say that stay alive. Well, it's a whole other sort of I, I thematic think, concept, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think in The Walking Dead, they are dead. Like, I think that the everyone is infected, but the infection doesn't take over until they die. Yeah, um, yeah because if you die, like, if you just die naturally, you come back still, right? That's right. Yeah, you come yeah, back okay. no matter what, whether you die or whether you're killed by a zombie because I think the zombie died, but it's it's, it's not magic in the Walking Dead, is it? It's it's some it's science. It's not magic. It's, it's like a brain <laughs> parasite, isn't it? That like reanimates. Yeah. 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 Although there there is another example of that where they're not technically dead, which is the sort of new zombie, the post twenty eight days zombie, which is not dead people, but people who have contracted this kind of rage virus. Right. That's the distinction. They're still alive, but but in those cases, they they die and then they come back. So it, can the Walking Dead zombies be cured, or are they just you can't go back after that happens? Well, I think you're dead, right? Well, I, I think mean, they're, like, looking, they're looking, looking for a cure. I mean, well, I, I think watched or read the comics in. I haven't. I don't know. So I'm years. asking. I think I think one... potentially the disease can be cured. Well, but but the people who are already zombies can't be brought right. back. There's no going they're back. Dead. I think that's mostly yeah. in the show, like it's the. Just... Uh, they don't go to the CDC in the comics like they do in the show where the guy tells them, like, kind of, like, gives them some lore on what the infection is, and I don't think that's present in the comics. I, but I the guess the scary do... question... I guess the scary question for the 28 Days type of zombie is, one, are they conscious of what they're doing? Like, are the zombies that are eating human beings, is there a part of them that knows what they're doing but can't stop it? And two, if so... Would you even want to be cured, or would what you've done be is too overwhelming to live with? Right. It's too much trauma. Yeah, like, I, I actually I haven't seen Twenty Eight Days, but I read this Stephen King novel called Cell like a million years ago, and it's like also I think I think it's like a brainwave frequency thing that like turns the people rabid. So like, would and they want to eat other people. So like, would we classify those as zombies? Like, if they're on, is that the question? Like, they're not dead. I think it would be. It would depend kind of along how they kind of like that quote about pornography that I can't define it but I'll know it when I see it like I think I can see when something is like clearly a zombie like if even if it's a robot zombie like in Mass Effect or or a yeah. mushroom zombie like in The Last of Us it's still a zombie if, if they're not zombies they'll do till the zombies get here well, I mean, like The Last of Us again, and I and I mentioned Resident Evil as well. Like those are interesting examples because in both cases there is like there, you can be cured from it, and there's a lot of instances of characters that are like about to become a zombie, and I don't know if they like die in the moment where they lose their will, but they mm. still are called zombies, right? So yeah, it's very it's a very murky category for sure. Mm. Yeah, often in oh. sort of more fantasy stories, it's kind of this overall like magic corruption of undeath or something like that or like the dogs dogs spontaneous in dragon age or like the blight in any number of any number of our fantasy stories where it's like a kind of like a disease but also like a magical curse that a sort of like dark energy or whatever evil evil energy it's usually like a spooky green color this dark energy well, that's when you get into the the liches and the necromancers and the skeletons and such. Yes, like I guess even Voldemort is a kind of like a, I mean he wouldn't be a zombie since we're talking about zombies, but he'd be kind of like a lich, I suppose. 
one of the things that I appreciate about the Greek undead um, is that they had agents. <laughs> like they would send, like the Furies were a whole category of um, essentially like like helper spirits. Um, so you know, individuals had Furies and children had Furies and murdered um, family members had Furies, but like that they would go and persecute and drink blood on behalf of the murdered person um, or the wronged person, like rather than the, the, the ghost or the creature, like doing it itself. So My client um, really needs this blood. Okay. Totally. So, I mean, it's yeah. no, like, you know, they're like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to eat your flesh because this guy is really mad at you. You know, like it's, so they did, they had these kind of like these, like, you know, one step removed um, vengeful spirits that um, like a, Agamemnons are the, the probably the best known ones, and then um, Clytemnestra, who is um, persecuting her son for murdering her. Like there's a scene at the beginning of um, Aeschylus uh, where the Eumenides, where she her ghost is like basically scolding the Furies who have fallen asleep, and she's like, "What the fuck? Like you're supposed to be pursuing him because he murdered me. Like what are you doing?" And they wake up and they're like, "Oh no, you know." But like so she's um, you know, unsatisfied with the <laughs> with the the undead persecution that they're enacting, like on her behalf. But I just thought that was funny that it's like it's almost it's almost like the inverse of of the kind of loss of will or the, the sort of shambling zombie, where it's like not only do you still have your consciousness and like your motivation, but you have agents who are like equally conscious. It's like you know they like doubled down on the on the vengeful will. Yeah. Kind of makes me think that there's this idea of don't speak ill of the dead. That is that like I interpret as kind of a respect thing that like don't speak ill of the dead. But might there be some sort of like superstition to that as well? Like thinking like like um like that they will get upset if you speak ill of them. Like speak of the devil kind of situation. <laughs> Yeah, maybe like a you know that you don't want to call attention to yourself, or you don't want to like get their attention. That's interesting. I never really, I never really made that connection. But yeah, like how we use kind of euphemisms for things. Like, um, it's it's decorous, but it's also yeah. There's a sense that like you just don't want to draw attention to don't yourself. Don't want to tempt wrath. Yeah, like that. There's a super. I don't know if anybody else knows this one, but like you're where you're not supposed to laugh um, as a funeral procession is going by. Because there's like a kid's song about it. it's like super creepy, but it, you know it's like never laugh as the hearse goes by for you might be the next to die. Do you Jesus. Know? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I've been looking up nursery rhymes. Pretty much every nursery rhyme is based on some horrific event, right. or whether it's the plague or behead, you know kings beheading their wives or you know the French Revolution. Yeah, yeah. So it's like Those yeah. Kids had no chill back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They were just they were just preparing themselves for the brutal realities of human existence. Like kids today are soft. <laughs> yeah. True. Stupid childhood being a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like let's put some nice pointy ears on this fear of drowning and call it an elf elf of the water that's gonna drown you. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. I think it's interesting, though, like, um, I guess in ancient literature or ancient mythology, the, the, the undead maybe were only a couple of people. But modern time zombies, it's either all or nothing. It's not like one guy 
or girl comes back to life. It's like every single dead body emerges and attacks the world and brings about an apocalypse. Like it's a lot more dramatic than say a ghost haunting a mansion. Oh, that's yeah, true. That's yeah, the apocalypse thing. thing is definitely tied to it a lot, a lot of these times. It's almost always an apocalypse scenario, the zombies. Yeah. Oh, Sense of like overwhelming globalism, like where, you know, if your if your whole world is your village and like that one dead guy is mad at you, like <laughs> so much. Um it, but it, it yeah, like the the modern zombie fear almost has a sense of like agoraphobia to it where it's just like crowds and crowds and um yeah, that that kind of swarming over population. Yeah, and the fear That's of really uh, pandemics also and sort of yeah. Like that, yeah, like that would never happen. Yeah, that probably wouldn't happen. Well, especially the rage virus that's such a prescient idea like the start of the 21st century this this sort of parasitic pandemic sweeping the world continually reoccurring in zombies all that's a consequence 2020. yeah that's a consequence of globalization right because we just have these lanes of travel between all of us so the, the threat yeah, that, of a pandemic is, is very stark that's a great point in fact i think all modern zombie narratives or certainly films are in some sense about globalization or about society or civilization it's like we're not separate anymore we're connected to everyone and everything what we do what we do as individuals ripples outwards and what happens far away will eventually come back we're, we're not separate from other countries or what happens in other countries or other parts of the country yeah. um it yeah. all comes back all, all the roosters are always going to come back to roost yeah, there's a guy called, uh, I think his name is like uh, Manuel Castells, um, and he wrote about the networked uh, global uh, world now and basically that our technology has uh, shrunk in time and space so that even a small thing like an outbreak in a wet market in Wuhan can instantly travel you know, around the world within you know, 24 hours. Right, And it's not just pandemic, it's like, fear and paranoia that can travel at light speed across these vast social networks and disinformation like, oh yeah I think like, like see that. how anti-vaxxer and, and QAnon and pizzagate conspiracies have just let lit the world on fire and completely mm -hmm. upended society in some ways yeah that's a good point like um what you said duncan and kind of relates to something that sarah was talking about earlier about like uh like agoraphobia and just like these masses of people and i feel like these zombie stories could also yeah. be about like mass hysteria like and it's it's like, explicitly like, zombie like oh, sorry, so sorry. it's just going crazy and like protests yeah. or, or riots or whatever yeah, yeah explicitly zombie like because it's like the crowds being whipped up into this frenzy by these sort of invisible threats or invisible puppet strings <sighs> Right. And I think it's like really evocative, especially when you have like politicians saying like there are migrant caravans coming. It's like well, that's just like a zombie horde coming or, you know, it, it has certain implications that um, that uh, denigrate what these people are actually doing by comparing them to, you know, some kind of other creature, some non-human creature. Mm. With, with caravan, isn't a caravan composed of people and merchants? I guess they have camels and courses maybe but no no but it, the idea that they're like a a group like a a moving mass rather than like individuals with right you know, yeah like ready to <laughs> infect our country with you know whatever mm. immigrants bring um... yeah i mean caravan is, is sort of a more gentle word i think than, than some people but but, but yeah the, the just the sense that it's this um collective rather than like 
individuals who are you know, yeah, seeking like asylum a or, or have that we were talking about that. Yeah, 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 or a swarm. People. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, as opposed, like we talked about it often being like a virus that spreads often globally as well, and uh, I suppose in other sorts of undead stories, more in fantasy, I suppose, where there's like skeletons or mummies or something like that, other sorts of reanimated corpses, it's often like a, like a, might be an artifact or relic that animates them, or like a haunted location or something like that, and you might find zombies there as well, but uh, yeah, it's sometimes in fantasy stories as well. It's a it's a disease that can spread, I guess. Well, I don't know, like uh, what's going on with Egyptian mummies or what they like. I'm pretty sure they had an afterlife, and that's why they preserved them. But uh, in like the Andes, uh, mummies were given to the spirits of the mountains, and they weren't really meant to come back or necessarily preserve them. There's more to serve this. Uh, spirits and to show gratitude to them um, but that's maybe mummy talk <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think mummies might fit into this quite well they're sort of uh, undead corpses as well yes. yeah the yeah the Incas um, they're mummies particularly the imperial mummies were still consulted after death and there's interpreters to kind of uh, to kind of uh, the word to to interpret. Um, yes, and to interpret the will of the previous uh, Sapa Inca. Oh, the mummy interpreter. That's a cool job. Mm-hmm. And then the Spanish burned all of them, but that's beside the point. Why did they burn them when they could have eaten them? Don't they know what yeah, seriously. Of, what of powers are in mummy flesh? No, that's a real like it was. Mamiya. That's why. That's why we have yeah. That's why we have so few, comparatively like so few Egyptian mummies when mummification was such a because like in the 1800s, the 1700s, like European medicine. They take pumps of it. Yes, they would they would grind it up, they would make powder, they would make like different parts were recommended for different treatments. Um the you know, they would drink blood, they would recommend like breast milk, like the the consumption of human remains and human like bodily products was extremely widespread in, in medical practice. Um Which is yeah. crazy because they're trying to like flavored. Because, <laughs> like, during that, they were trying to, like, throw off the shackles of religion and, you know, like, explore the scientific method of everything. And they're just like, oh, yeah, snort a mummy. You'll, be, you'll feel yeah. that. <laughs> you will absorb its power. <laughs> this yeah. is science. But, yeah, I guess, like, uh, Christian mummies have been uh, kind of, like, similar to the Incas, sort of revered after death and you know, sort of kept as relics as well. And, like, people would sometimes go and like pray over them and they would sometimes carry them into battle as well sort of as a that's that's interesting because, because a lot of the uh like the saints or whatever you know the reason why they didn't decay is because they're so holy they couldn't be corrupted and i think the idea of like 
the body and corruption and the decay is uh, a really integral part of like the whole zombie lore and you know obviously the uh, the Catholic relics. And stuff like that. Oh yeah, like I uh, put this down in the show notes that one way of uh, sort of differentiating different types of undead is wet versus dry undead. Oh, gross. <laughs> that's the kind. That's the kinds of death. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The the cat, the Christian mummies are or cat, the Christian relics are usually dry. Although um, there were complaints by certain uh, church like theologians or philosophers or whatever at how much um, of Mary's breast milk there was reputed to be at churches all over so like here's like every church <laughs> has a vial of mary's breast milk and he's like it makes the it makes the holy mother seem like a dairy cow is his objection <laughs> that like there was just milk everywhere but uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> not undead but a fun <laughs> oh so there are some wet relics good to know. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, so well, I, I think guess there's... like zombies are often like these kind of disgusting, slimy, oozing with their guts hanging out and infected and contagious and yeah, that sort of I think wet and that kind of characterizes that well. And then there's the sort of d- dry corporeal undead like skeletons and I guess whites as well and uh, mummies and fall into that too, I guess. But I guess. Uh, sort of flesh golems like Frankenstein would be wet at least that's the way they're often depicted with green slime as well and maybe a few guts hanging out as well there flesh golems uh, yeah that's such a great term I never I would never have characterized Frankenstein's monster in that way but it's such a perfect like that's brilliant yeah well, it or... mind, it's, it's something that's quite prevalent in Dungeons and Dragons and things to revive from that. Take the credit, Peter. Take it. Just I came up with Flesh Golem, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the um, case of Frankenstein, I mean, he's literally made of the dead. Er, Frankenstein's monster, I mean. Like, uh, he literally a <laughs> Patchwork creature stitched together. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, one of the one of the interesting things about Frankenstein and his monsters that like sort of touches on what we were talking about with the with the Mamea, where like it's you know that's a an indictment of you know scientific progress, quote unquote, and and the same kind of advances that they had in anatomy, like Vesalius and stuff, was happened because of grave robbing. So there's this idea that um, you know scientific progress or, or kind of like looking into the the physical mysteries or the physiological mysteries of human existence entails very close contact with that kind of wet dead um, that you're you know digging up digging up graves or stealing bodies or um, you know kind of going into these forbidden spaces but that there's like a risk to that right like that you know we're are we reanimating them as as knowledge or as like you know a more threatening kind of Frankenstein also is an interesting example because unlike pretty much as I understand it, pretty much everything that's come before the sort of logic or the motivation or the means of uh, reanimation was, was a magical kind of had a medical magical connotation to it. And, and as I understand it, Frankenstein is considered one of the very earliest instances of a sort of prototype version of, of science fiction 
right? Like mm-hmm. where the idea of like science being used as the means to animate the dead. It's a, it's a very different and new concept. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the Frankenstein's monster also distinguishes itself from other zombie or other undead creatures because it has an inner life. It has a consciousness. It has thoughts. It evolves. Originally, it's quite compassionate or quite um, sympathetic and then gradually is turned evil by circumstances and other the actions of other people. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, what Peter was saying earlier, like a lot of zombies are, you know, have falling off flesh and stuff like that. And Frankenstein has that, but he also has like this this desire to learn and be close to people and experience emotional oh, bonds the, and stuff like in that. In the book, but, Frankenstein's monster isn't monstrous. He, I think he kind of looks pretty normal, just has dark hair. No, he's... He, no, no, no he, I, I think yeah, he's he, very... He's not only extremely large because mm-hmm. they need the large vessels, but he's there's also, like, an element of decay and scarification. Mm-hmm. And stuff like, that. Yeah, like, there's no two bolts hanging out of his neck. <laughs> you know. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't yeah. have an unfortunate yeah, he isn't green or... and he isn't green. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh... well, but I mean, yeah. I mean, Doctor Frankenstein was freaked out by the eyes. That's why he abandoned his creation. Um... <laughs> but again, like Sorry. Frankenstein was brought out by you know who who was it like um, the Italian doctor that was working with electricity and making frogs' legs twitch and stuff like that. Um, oh, it was like, again, it was just galvanism or something. Yeah. Something like, um, but you know, again, it's an anxiety about like the current, you know, the current technological or, mm-hmm. you know, medical situation at the time, you know, I think it, yeah, and it's it also poses a language as well. Like it's people call like genetically modified food, Franken food and stuff like that. It's that sort of like idea of science going too far. And I guess the original well at least most popular example of the mad scientist archetype i guess it, it also I, summons I, up that idea of like the uncanny or the abject where it sort of scrambles our perception of what a human being is as this complete body um and it's something that's come up more and more as we've been able to do you know, organ transplants. Like, if you take all of the organs out of someone and put them into someone else, is that the same body? Um, if you replace or, you know, all if, the plates on a ship, is it the original ship? Yeah. Or zombie of Theseus. If, if you replace a limb with a prosthetic limb, is it still a complete yeah. body? It's like this well, idea of breaking apart the human body into parts. And well, what does that say about us? It's also interesting that um, there's a lot of science now talking about the uh, microbiome and how important that is to self. And if your microbiome contains more cells than your actually body, like what does that t- say about like who you are as a body? Yeah. I would argue that like nanotechnology is going to be another, in fact, you know, maybe, maybe Vox should write it before anybody, I don't know, maybe there's something out, but I mean, if you think about nanotechnology as like a potentially animating um, force, um, like that, you know, your body could be regulated from the inside by like completely alien um, occupation or whatever, like whether that would resonate. But ideally that would be to treat like a disease or, you know, infection or something like that, um, not just day-to-day, you know, cellular, you know, uh, crosstalk. 
Yeah, no, I know, but couldn't it be? I mean, like, couldn't you? Couldn't you essentially be like possessed by a swarm of nanobots? Like, I'm not I excited mean, about it. I'm just saying, like, it seems to me that you know, again, from a very sort of. I, I, I think for sure you could be. I don't know what kind of sinister funding is going into this research. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that's. Uh, I think that's how they do it in Mass Effect. Like, they have these zombies called husks, and it says that they. Nanites into the bloodstream, yeah. and that they're okay. first they're impaled on these spikes called dragon's teeth, which is a reference to some sort of Greek myth, I think, where uh, dragon's teeth was used to summon warriors out of the ground. And, That's uh, the founding of Sparta. Cool. The, the scary Sparta, thing uh, is. Thieves. The scary thing is that kind of thing exists in nature. Like there's this yeah. idea of the zombie insect that's taken over by parasite. Parasites who just kind of drive the insect's body like a vehicle. Yeah. Well, there well, was also there were undead the cicada um, swarm that we had this year. There was a fungus that was killing them, but like as they were half dead, they also became like super horny. So there were just like super horny, decaying half zombie cicadas so all over up. the western seaboard. Yeah, or the eastern seaboard. Um, <laughs> cicadas gone wild. Cicadas gone wild. Yeah, exactly. But like zombie cicadas gone wild. So like, yeah, I don't know. It's is just... terrifying. Yeah, this is just, it is. Just a sense that, like, I don't want to live on this world anymore. <laughs> like, we really aren't all that special. Like, if, if there's some kind of parasite that designs itself just right, like, it, you know, it could easily work the way that it does with, like, bees or ants or snails or... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, isn't... There's uh, the cordyceps mushroom also does that to ants in the Amazon, I believe, where they, yep. the spores of the uh, mushroom yeah. will enter their brain and they'll climb a stalk of grass and die there in order to uh, be eaten by something to further spread the, spread the uh, mushroom. Yeah, it's awesome. It grows right out of their skull like a little anglerfish. Like, uh, oh, like... oh, my God. Yeah, I heard this when I was like 12. It was terrifying. I think this is the premise of The Last of Us video. Game. It is, yeah. Fungus-based zombies. Yep. Yeah, like we talked what? about some short eight years ago. <laughs> yeah. God damn. But, like, there are things that are not fungus that can do this to us. Like, um, there was a person... Fuck. They did an SVU thing based on it where they had a brain tumor and that lowered their inhibitions where they were seeking out... Um, like dangerous sex with minors and they removed the brain tumor and they they could tell when it was growing back because the person would self-report i'm getting these feelings again where you know they they weren't a, a sexually aggressive pedophile without the tumor but with the tumor um that's the characteristic that changed so there are that's other things up. that can yeah there <laughs> um let me try to get a name on that so i can back that up Jock is telling us in the chat about a plasmogondoli. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that controls like parasites control human beings too. Like, 
I, I know, I mean, I think, yeah, I think the zombie, like, I think the fact that they eat brains kind of hangs a lantern on this, but, or the, the traditionally that they eat brains, but, like, I do think that a lot of it has to do with all these questions that we're asking and, like, how, how anxiety producing it is that we really do not understand how consciousness works and how, you know, determinism works or how, like, decisions are made inside our brains. So, like, if we, if we understand so little about it and we can control so little about it, like, how... <laughs> like how the fuck are we supposed to protect it like how are we supposed to regulate it I don't know it's just a really like I'm thinking about um that that sort of text literally textbook uh psych class example about Phineas Gage who took the railroad spike through the head and he was like fine except that his personality he was an asshole <laughs> yeah right like he just turned into a dick and you're like oh man like but I don't know it just it just seems like there's a very yeah, I posted an article about what I was talking about in the chat, so anyone who can wants to check that out. But yeah, existence is terrifying. Yes, <laughs> it's not. I mean, it really isn't that hard of a leap, like like Sarah is saying, to to fall prey to the idea that we already are sort of slaves to our own bodies. Like our bodies just have these impulses, and they're just guide our thinking and our way of life. Like we don't have any higher thought. It's just all electricity in our brain, or it's it's just chemicals that decide what we do. It's very it's very much a thing you could uh, accept. Yeah. Sometimes. Did you just trail out? Yeah, that was weird. Oh, sorry, I probably muted too early. <laughs> the fungus has got him. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I think yeah, there's there's something there about like maybe fear of, not fear, but anxiety about our status as animals. The fact that we look at animals and we see that animals are governed so immensely by instinct and by environment and they have no self-determination they just kind of live day to day on this sort of pre-programmed natural pattern and we see ourselves as having risen above that but this kind of splinter in our collective mind is that oh we can all we're all just animals underneath all of this sort of civilizational pretension um, and we could just slip back into that pre-programmed, or maybe we already are in this pre-programmed pattern, and and it's all just delusion that we're uh, Isn't that, what that we're Hobbes sort said? of self self-determined. Didn't Hobbes say that that the that the illnesses that we receive are because of of Jesus Christ? What was that? Uh, between well, civilization and how we're just you know are divorced from nature, and how we should go back to that a little bit. Well. I think, well, no, I mean, Hobbes said we should stay away from nature, didn't he? He was kind of like, you know, stay yeah, in society. Social, if we go back to nature, path. it's it's back yeah. to the animal kingdom. So he was saying, no, we have risen above. But... Guys, Hobbes is a tiger. Okay. <laughs> Which, like, when, when I figured out that Calvin and Hobbes were named after, like, their respective philosophers, I just, it, like, blew my mind. <laughs> like... It's all connected. Yeah, definitely. That that fits that idea of free will and sort of pre-programming and following our drives, I guess. And that the zombies are often just like reduced to that feeding instinct, I suppose. Whereas we have many different sorts of instincts that drive us, and we can then pretend that we are complex and can make our own choices. I think there's also like a very 
I don't know, colonial or like sort of racist anxiety in there, like fear of, I don't know, the kind of native or fear of the sort of primitive man, a primitive human being that, that you know, uh, works as a mob, hordes, eats human being, eats flesh, is just kind of like this monstrous horde um, that exists in, in the sort of quote-unquote savage parts of the world or the, the dark places of the world maybe that that idea but, of being attacked by that or, or or returning to that yeah i can see that probably uh, part of some stories but i think more often it's that uh that that sort of primitive man is inside every man that it just takes a little bit of wobble for things to go well, to the apocalypse and well the Ramiro... the streets and eating people alive the ramiro zombie is like very much influenced by that like there's this um subgenre of italian documentaries called mondo films that were really popular in the 50s and 60s and 70s and they were all about they were very exploitational they'd be like you know let's go and shoot the natives in some indigenous village and see what crazy practices they get up to you know their funeral rites their their practice of cannibalism and a lot of it was made up and you know just this idea of titillating western audiences with all of these bizarre exotic practices of the east and and you know the the amazon forests and all that but it got increasingly more and more violent um and they would show you know scenes of cannibalism and scenes of torture and execution and stuff like that and out of that emerged the the can the, the italian cannibal subgenre um and that's had a big impact on the zombie subgenre the idea of zombies tearing apart human flesh and devouring it and tearing entrails out that that all comes out of the the cannibal subgenre which itself comes out of this um, very racist kind of italian documentary series about about different um, cultures around the world no oh, that's cool i didn't know that i do like cannibals though so yeah, it's <laughs> cool to have that connection every yeah. day closer to just you're admitting you're a cannibal i know it <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there's a certain sort of implicit element of, of colonialism, or I mean, I think it's possible to read a lot of the more modern um, zombie films as like a, a very aggressive kind of post-colonialism, where the um, the minority feels threatened by the the faceless, you know, horde of others. Um, but they're trying to like regain control or they're trying to kind of like stake a claim on a, on a, a, an area, like how they often like camp out in a mall or camp out in a bunker or whatever, like that there's a kind of, um, struggle for control or a struggle for, you know, what feels like survival in the face of this othered horde. But, um, I I don't know. I, I feel like maybe there's more of a tension with like how close the, the survive the quote-unquote survivors are to like the the horde in the first place like that there really isn't oh, as yeah. much of a distinction um yeah sorry to, interesting. to be clear i don't I, I i don't think ramiro's films are colonial i think they're very much like post that they're very conscious yeah. of colonialism and and they're exploring the effect on the sort of domestic front of the empire um on the citizens coming to grips with the cult the the empire and its effect on other people and the effect on society um you know like and that's very much part of those films like dawn of the dead opens with p- 
police invading a, a, a project and gunning mm-hmm. down zombies and poor black people, you know, as if they're the same. Right, 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 yeah. And it's very much, yeah, like, what I love about the Ramiro films is the zombies are, they're scary, but they're really just a pressure cooker for the, the, the primary conflict of the film, which is all of the people, all of the dis- disparate people from different parts of society trapped in this one place, trying to work mm-hmm. together and failing to work together to, to survive. Oh, that's yeah. Well, because everyone's value becomes zero, right? <laughs> you know, the rich person and the poor person in that scenario are equals. Yeah. I also just love siege movies. Like, and this is a big part of what I love about zombie video games, especially like the Resident Evil games, is I love the idea of this kind of management of, you know, a, a building, like a fixed structure that you have to protect all of the potential openings. Like, it's just, just, it's just fantastically tense. It's just a great, great setting for drama. Kind of board uh, those walls actually, up. Yeah, I, I love that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I feel like related I, Matt, to that, you're... like maybe not. Um... Well, kind of video games and that sort of dehumanization of the other. Like, I definitely feel like zombies are often when you, when you're doing a video game and you want it to have violence in it, you want your hero to shoot shoot enemies, but but you also want your hero to be a hero. So you don't want necessarily want these enemies to be humans. So <laughs> you might make them into zombies. So you got a, like a human-shaped enemy that it's okay to shoot, that it's actually your duty to shoot them, <laughs> then it's kind of like, a, it makes it kosher in a way. Sometimes robots are used in this way as well, like in Samurai Jack, like all his enemies are robots underneath, even though they look very human and they don't act in any sort of robotic way, but it's just sort of to get the violence past the senses. And I guess like these video games often are these sort of uh, ways to live these violent fantasies but to sort of sanitize it a little bit they make the human enemies zombies instead Mm. the video games kind of saved the zombie from obscurity because it was kind of fading out in the 80s like there were a slew of zombie like really bad low quality zombie movies in the 80s and like slashes people were kind of getting sick of them and not seeing those films and it was fading away but during the 90s it was resident evil and the house of the dead arcade game that kind of regenerated interest in the zombie and then 28 day 28 days later kind of rebooted it for the 21st century yeah and then we got walking dead which like kind of out of nowhere <laughs> became like this huge hit and that spawned a bunch of other zombie kind of spin-offs. Do you, do you guys have any favorite zombie movies or TV shows you wanted to mention? I love Zombieland. Zombieland oh, yeah. is good. Yeah, Double Tap. Take a movie. Double Tap and Cardio. Uh, the, the first couple of seasons of Walking Dead were really good. Um, probably up yeah, to the really governor. Yeah, when it was fresh, but... It got a lot less fresh. After yes. It had a very big impact on my like middle school. Like my friends and I, we would get together every week to watch Walking Dead. We made a Facebook group called Super Zombie Murder Friends where we were making a zombie movie of our own. Like, <laughs> it was so very awesome. impactful. Amazing. But then I gave up reading, um, watching the show once my favorite character died in the comics. <laughs> i personally i really like 28 days later i think it's just very distilled 
version of all the things we've talked about, like just the concepts of the, and of course, like they're not technically zombies, I guess, by the definitions we've talked about, but just the idea of the anxiety of like the infection, but also the, the ultimate sort of, um, I forget who mentioned this in the context of the walking dead, but the ultimate fear of how this is actually going to just fuck up our society, the way that we, the living become something monstrous. I think that's a really good, uh, Zach, you have like a premature mute problem. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, it's one of well, my many like... premature. <laughs> hey oh. Um, I myself hate zombies. They scare me so much, and I think it's I think it's for the, the a lot of the reasons that we've talked about, and maybe some of the reasons that we talked about on um, the creature beef chat too, where like swarms of things just freak me out and like i i do have like agoraphobia to a certain degree so like huge crowds of people really freak me out and then also like i don't want to be eaten so like that's a problem for me too i don't know it's just I, <laughs> yeah, it's it's whole, yeah. like i have you know like it triggers like institutional anxiety for me because there's always like or not always but like a lot a lot of times there's like the military presence and like the kind of i don't know it's just everything about this genre just like yeah it's just i don't know it's just like the perfect storm of like so many things that make me like super fucking uncomfortable yeah no i had like a whole i had a whole zombie like survival plan like there's a there was a military base (laughs) in my hometown so i was like okay I'm, i'm pretty safe if like the world goes to the end like we got the military base like there's a lake like we're good you have a bug out bag uh no but like my friend literally had like an like a I, he gave this to me as a gift once. He wrote his own like survival guide. We were really into zombies when we were like twelve. Great <laughs> about you. Yeah, but but like uh, Abby's saying, like it's actually a good exercise, and the CDC actually did uh, zombie preparedness for a potential uh, viral outbreak back in the day. I think under Obama. Um, I think it was like in coordination with Max Brooks too, who, who had just written uh, World War Z. But it's, it's really an interesting disaster preparedness drill. Um, of course, at this point, I, I think that if a zombie apocalypse actually happened, half of the people in my country would not agree that it's actually happening. Confirm, yeah. I had, uh, I had very <laughs> surreal, I mean, not to get too, you know, like topical or whatever, but I had this very, very surreal moment in like, I don't know, I guess it must have been, like, March 2020, right, where, like, we're, I'm just sitting around the table with my family, like, eating dinner, and I had this, like, almost out-of-body sense that I was, like, in a movie where we're, like, you know, the average family at the beginning of the apocalyptic film, where it's, like, you know, the news is playing in the background, and it's, like, you know, more numbers oh, from wherever today, like, oh, it, was, it was so fucking bizarre, but, like, it, it, it's such a, you know, it's such a, like, life imitates art in a lot of ways, like, um, I don't know. It's just a really bizarre. It was a bizarre moment. Yeah, you'd be Where do you part guys of the montage the at the start of the movie, yeah. like news flashing, like the pandemic has spread, like there's nothing to worry about. Then, then someone smashes through your window. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where do you guys think is the best place to be during a zombie apocalypse? Like, where is the ideal? frontier like location um, i think literally where i grew up like i think about this in terms of an um of a environmental catastrophe too the midwest on the great lakes largest source of fresh water 
there was a military base like there's not a lot of like crazy environmental shit that goes down there like i think pretty good midwest on the great lakes i think it'd be it would depend because like you like abby said you need like a fresh source of drinking water but like if the cold affects the zombies then you'd want to move north if you needed to do year-round harvests you'd want to go to a place like california to do a year-round harvest you know if your farm doesn't just burn down yeah the uh, trick right is that you need to be in a semi-populated area because you can't just be isolated i think that's a mistake people make because if you're just fully isolated you'll starve pretty quickly or just run out of resources unless you're totally self-sufficient which i mean that's cool like I, I i planted like four pumpkin plants and they look great and all right well, we've established <laughs> pumpkin like no but like uh, like i i i'm as self-sufficient as i can be at this point and like still like the pumpkins die you know I, i'm not going to starve to death but like when you're put in that scenario then you know you you have a bigger problem yeah i think you would need a relatively large community just to protect itself and have just like a sufficient like boundary system and just like rules in place so that of course society in whatever form it exists could function but also just to to protect yourself but at the same time like there's risks to that too so there's definitely no ideal perfect situation did, did you guys honestly, ever watch want to be one of the zombies like <laughs> i just i my survival instinct is Oh, I always. I die. No, if happened, I would just kill myself. Like, I, I can't deal with that. No, thank I you. Mean, like, yeah, like it's a really dark response, but like, I would just be like, "Hey, zombies, what up? Can I, can I, can I join you?" Jack, please. <laughs> um, did you guys ever watch the show Doomsday Preppers? Anyway, it was on I haven't Nat watched Geo. it, but I am familiar it, it, with the concept. Yeah, so they, they they take like these people that think like. Uh, EMF is going to go off and we're going to lose all electricity and whatever and like how they prepare for it. And it's like some of them are like strongly armed, like have perimeter fencing and everything. But there's one place in like Vermont where they're just like, yeah, we'll make our own apple cider. And like, yeah, we don't need fences like because everyone oh, will benefit no. when we're all together. I'm like, I'm going there and being king of that. <laughs> be their warlord. What? So like for me, I have I, I mean, I think it's probably become pretty clear at least in this chat but like i have anxiety and so like i always even when i'm trying to put together like a first aid kit for our house i spiral in ways that are like just completely insane so like i'm thinking like okay i need you know like band-aids and neosporin and like what if somebody gets burned and then i get to like you know okay well what if somebody like a velociraptor attacks them and like <laughs> you know or what if like they get a, a you know a, a compound open fracture like what would I need to fix that? I'm thinking like if we're at the compound open fracture stage, like <laughs> this is not, you know, but I'm like, should I have, like, should I have a needle and thread in there? Like, sh you know, should I be prepared to go? Like, and it's just, I can't, I just cannot. So I just buy the pre-packed ones and I'm like, I, this is fine. Whatever, whatever someone determined I might need. <laughs> Anyone see Sarah after the apocalypse? Yeah. Yeah. She be, turned crazy. She's a woods witch now. I'm a, she I'm a, I'm the a, zombies. I would be. Yeah. I would either I would either just like wade into the herd of zombies or I would be yeah like you know the the <laughs> survivalist cannibal like <laughs> who's closer to the zombies and I don't know I I would not do well in an apocalypse I think it's oh, like a good life <laughs> I know 
Thanks for coming to my mental health chat. Yeah, I think we all just uh, need a Xanax now. I know we kind of monopolized the discussion with zombies. Is there any other undead things you want us to talk about, Peter? Um, yeah, no, like we've gone on about zombies for quite a while now, and I don't think, yeah, I think we probably can do ghosts at a different time. Probably be a good topic as well. Maybe Definitely. If we I think we should all we... find. Yes, I think we should all find a ghost story from our local area and tell it. Yeah, that could be good for a sort of Halloween, yeah. Maybe. Well, it's pumpkin spice season, so it's about time oh. for Halloween. No, after Labor Day. After Labor Day. I'm pretty I sure don't I like that, that movie. Pretty, I'm pretty sure I brought this up in the werewolf chat because there are also yeah. werewolves in this movie, but I would recommend Scooby-Doo and Zombie Island. It's <laughs> so good. That movie terrified me for some reason. Oh, like the idea is that the one with like the green eyes and like being transferred to other people thing or is that a different movie no 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 no. this is the one where they go to louisiana and okay. there's like zombie they're in like a spooky house and it re- this is the uh, movie that revived the scooby-doo franchise first of all if you'd like to know your scooby-doo chronology lore but sure. this movie revived the, the scooby-doo Doo renaissance yes it was the scooby-doo renaissance <laughs> Re- renaissance sorry <laughs> but um they go to the zombie island and it's like there's like zombie confederate soldiers and then also there's like werewolf cat things and there's like voodoo and it's amazing it's a great movie everyone should watch it we'll put it on wouldn't werewolf cats be a new creature were cats nailed it I was also terrified, speaking of Werecats, I was also terrified of the Wallace and Gromit movies when I was a kid. And like the were-rabbit and all that. I just found that very unnerving and uncanny as oh, yeah. a child. Yeah, I guess Is it the Clay style is kind of yeah. I think so. Something about it. Yeah, it's the way they, there's something about the way they move. That's yeah. very, like, yeah, I agree. Okay, I think we went over... <laughs> what zombies are and a little bit about the history as well and and quite a bit of why we tell these stories yeah i i guess we've covered most most things did anyone else have any recommendations or a piece of zombie fiction they wanted to talk about i i I wanted to mention a weird fact um during the uh 19th century in the united kingdom they had this weird thing called post-mortem photography, which is when someone died, they would basically dress them up and pose with them for like one final photograph. And it was a way for them to like have catharsis over the death of someone they loved and have like one final photo to put up on the mantle and all that. And I thought that was interesting, the way it sort of enables like the reanimation of a corpse through technology, this idea of uh, photography or video recording or audio recording capturing people in a particular place in time and that preserving them. Um, and I always think about like old comedies, like I Love Lucy, when you watch it and you hear the people, oh, sorry, I've got a crying baby, and you hear the people laughing in the audience 
and I think, oh, how many of those people are dead? Probably most of them. So we're hearing dead people laughing. So there's something, I don't know, about technology um, that can enable that resurrection or that reanimation. Sort of immortality, at least. Yeah. yeah. In, in America, that was big during the Civil War and post-Civil War. Uh, there's a big rise of spiritualism and they'd actually like uh, do the double negative. So like the person that was dead would appear, uh, appear faded um, in the picture as like a kind of friendly ghost or familiar ghost or something like that. Um, but yeah, they used to do that with like daguerreotypes and stuff like that. And I think Duncan to, to sort of build on the, the point that you're making, one of the interesting, much more modern iterations of that would be like, the casting of long dead actors in movie roles, right? Or in like TV roles, you know, so we have like the commercials with, with actors who've been dead for decades or, um, you know, like Princess Leia coming back for a movie after she, after Carrie oh, Fisher yes. died, you know, like that kind of stuff yeah. where it's, you know, I'm, I don't know. There's a, there's a very uncomfortable line there. Um, Didn't that, Kanye West have Kim Kardashian's mom holograph to tell her something like happy birthday or something? What? Abby mentioned the Tupac hologram. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, Weird. you know, like come back for another performance. But it's like, I... there's a whole yeah. South Park episode about it. It's called Dead Celebrities, where they just hologram in all the dead celebrities. It's pretty great. <laughs> And I think this is only going to keep happening. I think it's going to become more uncanny and extreme too with the technology advancing. And it's already pretty. It's pretty much there. You can you can pretty much with CGI make someone look human. And if we didn't know about it, like just because of the fact the person is dead, I think it would actually trick us. Existence is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's CGI and almost becomes this new form of sorcery in, in terms of resurrecting people and, and controlling them for uh, your will stealing their face mm -hmm. that's that's kind of that's kind of dark in a special way yeah um in, in terms of movies I, I also wanted to mention um i don't know if you mentioned it but Shaun of the dead is a great zombie comedy film yes um, which, which i love um and also if you like uh if you don't mind foreign films, there's a great Spanish zombie film called Rec, R-E-C, just like a found footage uh, zombie film where people are trapped in an apartment, news reporters are trapped in an apartment. That is like wonderfully scary and claustrophobic. Yeah, I also really like historic zombie films. So like I, I wrote, like this is a guilty pleasure, but like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. But there's also, there's a French show, I think it's called Revolution or Revolution or whatever. That's like a a uh, like French Revolution zombie movie or zombie TV show, and like there's a bunch of Korean. They do a lot of Kingdom. historic. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple of them though that they're like they're like historical movies, but they're also zombie movies. And just something about the like not modern technology with zombies is like very fascinating to me. Oh, that's kind of cool. Like especially Pride and Prejudice and zombies. Like they literally the book kind of shit, but the movie they like they like kind of explain how they get good at like killing zombies in like what, the 1800s <laughs> and like they master all these like different like martial arts and like it's just very interesting to me like the idea of all these people still dressed in like these very limited movement outfits you know doing eight, 19th century England shit and then also there are zombies <laughs> yeah, sounds, sounds amazing 
Um, one final point on the technology or the ethics of recording people um, is in Australia, there's often a um, viewer discretion warning at the, at the start of shows if an Indigenous person has been recorded by the camera because that's a big sort of taboo in Australia among Australian Aboriginal nations is you can't watch you can't look at a person that's deceased so they will warn you if if there's a footage of a deceased person so Aboriginal people can decide whether they want to watch it or not so it's I mean it's not a big deal to us but a lot of other cultures it's a huge huge taboo oh that's interesting yeah I guess that we could delve a little bit about into the origins Still, like how we talked in the vampire chat, that a lot of these uh, stories about undead creatures coming for you from beyond the grave are about sort of like moral lessons to bury your dead properly, and like how zombies and undead might be kind of a, at least wet undead might be sort of a, a, a real warning to prevent disease and stuff like that, sort of very respectfully and properly your community's members who have died. Yeah, that is interesting that it's a it's a proper disposal of corpses issue. It's just like it's a corpse who refuses to be properly disposed. Speaking of which I have to go dispose of some corpses properly, so I'm gonna leave you guys now. Oh. <laughs> okay. Thanks All right, have fun, Matt. <laughs> thanks guys, this was real fun. Give them hell. <laughs> Salt the earth. Yep. In in um ancient Greece the the tactic was called Moscalismos and it was to prevent like wrongfully dead dead from coming back and you cut off their I think their hands and their feet and their noses and strung them together and then tuck them under the armpits of the corpse and for some reason like the armpit part of that strikes me as so much worse than like it just seems like such a fuck you to the person that you've mutilated I don't know okay, hold yeah, on to these yeah it makes it sort of somehow more real to you i can like, yeah. feel it like so i can dignified as well it's like putting a newspaper under under an armpit <laughs> yeah so weak and don't forget this. trying to hold something in your armpit yeah i can feel that well like in shakespeare's titus andronicus like they they you know it's it's such a brutal play and i don't really want to go into like the circumstances but basically like, there's a woman who gets both of her hands chopped off and so she has to carry stuff and he's like <laughs> one of the other guys who's titus who's also had his hand chopped off he's like here bear this my hand wench between my teeth right so she wants up like holding her father's like chopped off hand between her teeth because she has also had her hands chopped off. it's just i i don't know it's one of those yeah titus andronicus is like it does not sound like a fun time it does not. It is not a. It you know. There's there's cannibalism and that too. So it's Ooh, well. a good time. A good time. Highly recommend. I'm gonna class it up a little bit. Check out Titus Andronicus. Peter's interest is peaked. Oh, zombie! The zombie the musical. That's the South Park guys, right? Isn't they make a zombie? Oh no! I, no, that's that's cannibal the musical. No, oh, I'm talking about. Oh, very different from. thing. Zombie I mean, Prom is, is a musical. I've never seen it, but I know it's a musical that exists. I guess Be More Chill is like kind of zombies, but that's also based off of the Ned Vizzini book. But like, they're kind of zombies in that. 
like yes if you want your zombie musical fix also i think star kid has a zombie musical i forget what it's called though i didn't like it uh which hmm. sisyphus count Sarah, what do you think? Sisyphus, what do you no, think? They're, I don't know. I don't think so because they're they're oh like when you not, yeah yeah I back. yeah we talked about that a little bit at the beginning that like in okay. in Greek mythology like there are people who come back but they come back just like hey guys I'm back you know it's not like exactly yeah Neo Lazarus. Kind of another yeah, and interestingly, yeah, interestingly, um, earlier when you're talking about how, you know, particularly in the ancient world, how they didn't particularly like attracting um, the um, gods of the underworld, like that's how you get Hades being referred to as, you know, he he who has many guests or and um oh, that's cool like yeah i like it when that happens and like voldemort he who he who shall not be named yeah and um interestingly uh in greek literature um persephone apart from uh, apart from the uh myth that relates you know her marriage to Hades um she's not very often directly named as a goddess as a goddess of the underworld and that I mean and in uh Persephone isn't from the underworld, is she? She's just sort of like a captive or a guest, well, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, she's she's part of the. That's her Eleusinian. postal address. <laughs> yeah, that's where she gets her. The Eleusinian mysteries, though, like they, I mean, it's a, it's like a cult that that uh, presides over the afterlife, right? Like, so I mean, she's in that sense, she's a um, protective, like you know, spirit, or not spirit, but, like, a protective kind of divinity that oversees, like, the transition into the afterlife, like, a successful transition in the afterlife, and um, she's also responsible for, let's say, like, policing the borders of the underworld, so, for example, in the Odyssey, when he goes, when Odysseus goes down to consult Tersaeus, um, he is worried that he has overstayed his welcome effectively. And he says like, look, you know, it's been great, but I have to go before Persephone sends um, the Gorgon after me um, to like chase me out of here. So he, you know, she, she is um, sort of in the background, but she is much more um, like in control of, um, of that realm than we might expect from like the hymn to Persephone um, or the hymn to Demeter. Um, with that, with that foundational myth in it. Yeah, oh, cool. and in the um, in Mycenaean Greece, she was um, well, Mike, um, she's act, she's actually in, well, supposedly anyway, 
we think, if I have that correctly. She's uh, she's been finding Mykonein inscriptions because uh, she and Demeter were consorts of Poseidon, who was the head god, because Mykonein Greece was in uh, their religion was Orphic, which meant they worshipped basically the underworld. Um, which is interesting. Um, and there, she's much more, Persephone is actually kind of low-key terrifying, <laughs> especially in the Mycenaean. I, I can't get too specific because I can't recall, but... So not really a yeah. damsel in distress as maybe some yeah. depictions of the story might have you believe. Yeah, that, that branch ties back to um, what we were talking about a little bit earlier about the Furies, because um, in that in that cult thread, um, Demeter is actually raped um, by Poseidon in the form of a horse. Um, so she has like a dark, a, literally a dark horse persona. Um, but one of her cult titles is Demeter Irenaeus, which means like Demeter Fury, essentially. So she and Persephone are both very closely associated with those Furies that I talked about, who are like the avenging spirits that come up and drink blood and torment and um, and and drive insane the people that they hold responsible for murders or um, other violations of divine that law. Sounds pretty fierce. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're they're pretty. Um, so they're, they're closely related also to um, Hecate and her um, corpse-devouring uh, guys. So, like, Hecate's, the dogs are sacred to her, and um, she has, like, a dog form sometimes. And um, so she's related very closely to Cerberus, but then also to just, like, the corpse scavengers that, um, for example, we hear about in the in the Iliad, um, which is sort of, like, the, the anti- shows up in a lot of, like, uh, later, like, witch culture i guess like that uh, she's prayed to in vika i think at least mm -hmm. i've heard some songs that praise her at least yeah yeah she's she's very um you know it's like a, like nighttime and sorcery and things like that but that idea of um peter that you were talking about of like corpse disposal um where you know whether you're burying it properly or whether you're letting it rot like you have to get it out of there because it's it's a dangerous it's like a threatening artifact almost that like can't exist in the same so you have these these scavengers and these goddesses yeah exactly who are like essentially controlling pollution through these like consuming or devouring actions that's cool that's uh it's dogs that are scavengers and devourers and i guess yeah hyenas do that as well mm -hmm. And then there's Jack the sort of a, oh yeah, jackals, like An yeah. Anubis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think in uh, like the Himalayas, they have this sky burial for like where they oh, feed yeah. the corpse to vultures. Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking metal. It is. Yeah, totally. Is, yeah. But I mean, I do, I do think it's very interesting like to think about zombies as a, you know, to sort of go back to the, the major undead category that we've been talking about, but to think about them as like, corpses that are disposing of the living <laughs> in a way that inverts you know the the ways that we usually think of corpses like being disposed of like that they're consuming or they're tearing apart or mm -hmm. um it's interesting that there's sort of like 
like a white cell looking for infections and we have the infection. Ooh, that ooh, that's creepy. I mean, that's the sort of a cliche that's like in most zombie films that like that it's like mother nature just cleansing itself or something like that. Well, not in most, but in many, I suppose. Like the the matrix, like human beings are a virus, um, and the Earth is just trying to come up with ways to get rid of it. Yeah, still hanging on here. Let's put up a few more parking lots. Yeah, suck it, Earth. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I guess like that idea of them being like the human disposing corpses because they usually have this very sort of single-minded like drive to kill humans especially and not animals even though they will eat animals but like they'll like beeline for a human every time they see one that's actually i never really thought about that but that's really yeah that's really interesting it's like their core drive to kill humans i guess yeah I mean, I guess it would be a pretty good sort of cleansing method to, like, if you don't die to the infection, it'll turn you into this thing that will, like, if aliens wanted to cleanse Earth of humans, that would be a good good way to do it, to engineer a zombie virus. Well, don't give them ideas, man. <laughs> I, for one, welcome our... Just watch all the movies. ...and yeah, we do spend a lot of, like, disaster films are are a lot of, like, mental and cultural energy spent on, like, ways to erase ourselves. <laughs> like, it's such a nihilistic... How could it How could it all go wrong? Right? Yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess all, all cultures in, in all times have told stories of the apocalypse, and the apocalypse happens to varying degrees in varying places of the Earth every, every year, I guess, but... I mean, that it's something that there's always something after the apocalypse, even though it's the end of the world, but we mm -hmm. have all these stories that are after the apocalypse. Well, if the aliens could just blow the planet up, we'd just be gone. Well, I assume they want the planet, though, right? Like, otherwise they... it just seems wasteful. Maybe. Yeah, but they might be, might be also spice. ideologically motivated to destroy humanity and not for resources. I mean, mm. Earth does get destroyed in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, for example, and I believe they But it's very important. <laughs> They're using it to answer the question. Um, I gotta go. So... Okay, Boy, thanks for... Bye. Bye, Abby. Thanks fine. for joining. Yep, yeah, I hope I can find time to do more of these my I hope so too. soul sucking life that I'm living right now, but it's fun <laughs> talking to you guys. <laughs> Enjoy your zombie life, Abby. Uh, <laughs> slave yeah. to the machine, that's what I am right now. Establishment. <laughs> Go get All them right. brains. Yeah. Bye. Bye. So I recently learned thinking about the apocalypse and the resurrection and things like that, I recently learned that Thomas Aquinas was very concerned um, from a theological standpoint in the Middle Ages about what, how resurrection would work 
um, for someone who is a cannibal <laughs> because Aristotelian biology suggested that your body is made of the food that you eat. It's like a concoction of the food that you eat is, is made into the material that your body is made of. So Thomas Aquinas wondered if um, somebody ate only people, what would resurrect in um, in the end of days, right? Like when everyone came <laughs> back from the grave, like would that person exist or would he be made of other people? Like <laughs> that's a, that's like an extremely normal. Like, I, oh man. What well, if, so what if, you know what when? <laughs> oh, sorry. Right. No, no. But just to take it one step further, so I he also Aristotle. What, what the idea was. Right. Like Aristotle also suggested that um, the like human seed, right, that made babies, like semen, was made of um, further concocted food. So he was like, okay, what if somebody only ate people and then had a baby? Like, what would that baby be made of? And how would the baby resurrect? And then he had this third, like, kind of string of thought where he wondered, like, what would happen if people only ate babies and then were, like, made of babies? <laughs> like, babies weren't people yet. So anyway, it's, hey, babies! <laughs> so babies are people. Had only eaten people what would you be made of and how would you be resurrected? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So that's what, that's uh, how the, people would. Would all the, all the people you've eaten be aware in little parts inside of you? Like you you'd be like this amalgam, this abomination. Or like, would they be resurrected separately and you are thus like no longer extant because, or, or would they resurrect in some material form like before you ate them <laughs> in which case like you get to keep what you took from but then also like they have their bits back too i don't know the 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 um mechanical particulars of resurrection <laughs> in the middle ages are absolutely fascinating yeah, like they, they thought it, about it a lot they did they thought it, yeah they did and like they you know they wondered like what what the deal was like with worms like you know ever if your body decomposes or like what if you lost the limb like would you get it back in you know like are you resurrected like perfectly or are you you know do you resurrect as like an old person or like do you resurrect like i don't know sorry i mean if anybody's interested in this kind of like, yeah, like post post-mortem corporeality and and the idea of like what you are kind of like with a capital a like before and after death it's it's just a fascinating um philosophical which is they clearly took to like absolutely absurd ends in some cases but um but it's an interesting kind of uh theological reflection of a lot of the themes that we were that we were talking about about like what you actually are um as a living being yeah that sort of idea of the borders between you and the food you eat for example and the assimilation <laughs> of something in an incorporation of something into your own body and that's uh, definitely they were not totally okay with that idea and they wanted the borders to be a little more strict i guess yeah but i yeah. guess like we at least in stories about cannibals there's often said that you sort of take something of the power especially if you eat your enemy's heart or the flesh that it's sort of like this idea that i mean that's kind of 
kinda happens with food that you <laughs> if you kill another creature or organism and you consume it you um you take a hold of its resources and its its nutrients in that way, but yeah, maybe you don't get their courage from that. Yeah, and just just the calories. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think we've been going for two hours, and um, I think uh, we don't have much else to talk about anymore. I, I have a random question. Do you think Jurassic Park is a zombie movie? Or are mm-hmm. they... Cause they're, I guess they're fossils, they're like resurrecting fossils, <laughs> or maybe it's clones, I don't know. Yeah, I think they're clones, kind of. Okay. Scratch That's them. interesting, though. Yeah, because, I mean, it is structured in, in a very similar way um yeah they don't like say how they, how they say that they use some frog dna but they don't say if they like put it in like if they use a sort of carrier of some sort of extant animal for it or if they just do it entirely in a test tube because I and heard like that you might this... be able to clone a mammoth and have an elephant carry that sort of a baby mammoth. But oh yeah, I thought about doing enough. that. And it's framed as an apocalyptic kind of scenario, like the dinosaurs are like threatening the the dominion of human beings, yeah. the same way that zombies kind of threaten. Yeah, I mean, if you if you reduce it living. to its barest its barest components, it's losing control of something that's been brought back from the dead, right? So, yeah, I mean, I'll allow it. Yeah, I suppose it's a sort of form of necromancy, I guess. Like, in some stories where there's, like, um, some threat of, like, an un- the undead taking over the world, it'll be like the mummy, where it's, like, this long-dead ruler who comes back and sort of, like, uses the power to... And it's kind of like, uh, it's like history coming back to bite you somehow, or, like, your ancestors or the past and like might be like what all the different awful things that happened in the past might come back in that I guess all horror movies are about the return of the repressed yeah the um when um Matt brought up earlier the lightning and Frankenstein that's something that Hollywood came up with because in the book proper, it's never actually revealed how the monster is uh, reanimated, which is interesting. She is very specific, though, that it's something that he learns, like that it's an arcane science, not um, not magic like it's something that he discovers at university which is which is a really interesting i mean we we touched on this already but yeah as as like the first science fiction where the author was willing explicitly to say like no this is not supernatural like this is something that is achievable through modern um human knowledge yeah okay well yeah i guess that's it then if anyone doesn't have anything else to say. Okay, well... Is Die Hard a zombie movie? <laughs> well, I don't know. Could it be? Just uh, run okay, yeah. uh, do, do they really have free will, or are they really just 
being zombies to their <laughs> lust for money and the reconciliation with Bruce Willis's family. That's a kind yep. of zombie as well. Yeah, and Bruce Willis just has to keep repeating the same movie over and over again. It's like a, a nightmare from which he can never awake. Is Weekend at Bernie the zombie movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. They reanimate him through, I don't know, slapstick comedy. Hijinks. Hijinks. The most potent voodoo of all. Yes, indeed. Okay, cool. Thank you all for joining me for this episode of Creature <laughs> Chat, and uh, and we'll have more of these coming up in the in the future. Uh, do does anyone else have any podcasts that you have upcoming or would like to mention here at the end? Well, I haven't actually started the process of this at all yet, but I would like to do a podcast on the final book in the latest Joe Abercrombie fantasy series that will be coming up. Get that going at some point here. It'll probably be a little while when that actually happens, but we'll see. Um, And of course, at some point, we'll be looking at all the uh, video games of the year, I think, at some point. If there are any to talk about, it's kind of a sparse year. We'll figure it out. Yeah, sometime before Christmas, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I, I, I've started a new podcast series called The Movie Passport, where each episode we look at the cinema from a different country. So we've done five episodes so far. Uh, three have been released, and I'll probably pick that up again um, towards the end of the year. But let let me know if there's any particular countries you want me to cover or you want to join me for. And did you you guys do the um, Fire and Blood reread thing already? Or was the episode of that recorded some time ago? Yeah, we've done a couple. I don't know where those are at this point-ish, maybe. (laughs) <laughs> they are in, in the future it's somewhere work, it's a work in progress yeah it's a work in progress so if anybody listening is interested in joining us for another one and um, just reach out on discord and we'll be happy to include you cool all right well i believe that is that and uh goodbye